The role of the consumer is growing. Beyond making purchasing decisions based on price, product or service, they now rely on the values and the purpose of a business to influence where they spend or invest their money. In this Agenda podcast episode, we ask what is the role of the consumer in purpose-led business and discuss what the value of the consumer is to unlocking sustainable business. I'm Russell Goldsmith and welcome to Beyond the Bottom Line, brought to you by Oxera Consulting. We're recording today's show at Oxera's office in Paris, and joining me around the table is a name familiar to regular listeners, Luis Correa da Silva, a partner at Oxera focusing on business sustainability. With Luis is Helen Jenkins, Oxera's managing partner and a respected expert in competition and litigation. And finally, we have Pascal Deschamps, a partner and head of Oxera's operations in France with extensive experience as a competition economist. Now, very quickly, for any first-time listeners in this podcast series, we're taking a close look at the driving pressure to fundamentally change the purpose of business and focusing on how people's expectations from business are rapidly evolving. In the last episode, we asked if investors hold the key to changing the purpose of business and discover that ultimately it is the consumers that influence where and how investment are made. Uh, Luis, I'd like to come to you first. You've spoken in the past about the five capital framework. Can you explain how and where the consumer fits into that? So as we've talked about in, in previous podcasts, there's a pressure on businesses to um, look into the, the ways they their decisions, the way they, they go about establishing priorities in investment, in pricing, how they deal with consumers, that they need to take into consideration various forms of capital. There is the what they do, how it, it impacts on, on, on their employees, what they do, how it impacts on the natural resources that they use uh, in the process of producing whatever they produce or the, the services they sell, the impact they have on local communities, the impact they have on suppliers. And there is that, that, that sort of impact that needs to have a framework for thinking about, well, will investors see that there is long-term value in um, corporations, businesses, uh, looking at just, not just at profit, but also at these forms of capital, how they're investing in the long term in these forms of capital. Now, in, in, in the previous podcast, we also talked about the, the role of consumers. So how does the consumer fit into these different forms of capital? They, they, you know, there is the human capital, there's the physical capital, the financial capital, uh, the social capital, uh, the natural capital, but but where is the consumer? What what is the role of the consumer in this? At the end of the day, the consumer is the one that is paying uh, for the products and services that a, a, a firm uh, produces or sells, and therefore they should have a say on uh, these different priorities. We also talked in the previous uh, podcast about um, consumers from the point of view as People have savings and they need to make conscious decisions about where they're going to invest it, their, their monies and whether they will invest in firms that are, are, are good at being socially responsible or firms that are just good at making lots of profits. In this podcast, we will be uh, talking about um, consumers as, as buyers of products and services and how they interact on, with, with firms in the process of, of that purchase decision. Well, well Helen, let, let, let's bring you into the conversation then. What, what's your thoughts on this? I think uh, 
it's very fascinating to think of the role of consumers in this model as it's evolved. For me, it's absolutely essential to see the consumer really at the heart of these questions because the sustainable business model idea is sustainable because consumers think that the products and services produced by these firms who care and invest in these different forms of capital are attractive to those consumers. And without that, then the sustainability is undermined. Essentially, a business that is making these broader investment decisions has to be doing that in a way that meets the demand that consumers have for the products and services that they, the consumers want and businesses supply. And I think... It's particularly the case for the social capital, the human capital and the environmental capital that you see that consumers do genuinely care about how businesses are thinking and making choices about their own behaviour, the firm's behaviour with respect to those forms of capital when those consumers are making their choices about what sort of products and services to buy. And so for me... Just as you think that any transaction that happens, any consumption decision that happens, has a consumer on one side and a business on the other, but it's only successful when both sides come together and think that they're being offered something that is fair and has the quality and the attributes that the consumer desires. Pascal, how does business take account of the consumer? So in this in this context, I think it's helpful to think of consumers in a, a slightly wider perspective. So including the people who make those purchasing decisions, as well as the people who are able to influence those uh, those purchasing decisions. For example, consumer associations, influencers, or, or charities. I think consumers intervene in how businesses behave in, in two significant ways that interact with each other. The first one is, of course, by the act of purchasing itself. And the second is by being influenced themselves when they make those decisions by a number of external factors. So consumers typically are neither superheroes, super active, having very, very big ideals that will determine every single purchase that they make, nor are they completely passive, egoistic, completely blind people who only look at price. Education and awareness are not quite enough. But pure selfishness does not explain consumer behavior either. So businesses can accompany or hinder shifts towards more sustainable consumption by consumers. Helen, from your experience, are purpose-led businesses seem to have a competitive advantage in the market? And, and if so, do they, you know, how do they um, capitalise on that position? There's lots of interesting research on what makes consumers make the choices that they do make. And for any business that is seeking to be successful, short term, long term, they need to really understand how their consumers tick and what makes them make those choices. If we overlay that understanding with the five capitals that we're talking about today, what you want to understand as a business is how much value do consumers place on some of these attributes for a business. And there is interesting research on that um, that you can draw on. There are sort of three different ways in which people have sought to understand how consumers make choices in this area. Uh, people actually do experiments where they 
give different scenarios to consumers and see what choices they make and how much are they willing to pay for products that are described as having better conditions, working conditions for staff or are less polluting or particularly uh, have strong green credentials. And then you can have a look at the actual choices people make in that scenario. You can also look at actual choices where consumers are offered, say, free trade coffee, free trade bananas versus normal products or organic products versus more standardly farmed products. And then the third option is you can actually ask people, ask them how much are they willing to pay, how much do they care about these things. Now, what you find is when you pursue the last of those and you ask people, you'll find that generally people will often uh, very much overstate their willingness to pay for these attributes. And I think we can all understand where that comes from. People, in a sense, might like to believe they are willing to pay large amounts for these uh, elements. However, if you look at actual outturn behaviour or experimental evidence, you do see that on average people are willing to pay more for products that have these ethical sourcing uh, elements and that can be in the region of 10 to 20% more than products that are not sourced in this way. Some of that research, which is very interesting, says that particularly where consumers see that another human being is going to benefit from the choice they make, they're willing to pay more. Then uh, the next is if animals will benefit, that's the next lowest amount, but that they're still willing to pay a positive amount. And perhaps sadly for the environment, that's one where you get the least premium in willingness to pay from that type of evidence. I think what's interesting from what you're saying, Helen, is that it actually, it, it's very consistent with the, the five drivers of consumer choices that have been identified in the literature. So the first one that you have is habit. So we, we make purchase decisions on the basis of what we already know. And changing habits is hard, but it can be done. You can penalize people for what is considered bad behavior, or you can reward them for the good behavior. It will have to be quite intense for people to actually change, but it's been shown with, for example, real-time feedback. Like, For example, if you know your electricity consumption in real time, it has been shown that people are more conscious about their electricity consumption than if it's in the basement and you have no idea at any point in time how much you're consuming. You also have social influence. So if the people around you or the online influencers these days, because brands, of course, use them now quite extensively, if there are a number of key individuals who will promote a particular product or put forward a particular quality of a product, you can have consumer change. So those are, if your neighbors have installed solar panels, there's actually a study that shows that you're a lot more likely to adopt a solar panel than if no one in your neighborhood has done it. In a way, there's a bit of showing that it works or showing that it can be done before you even yourself change a habit or adapt, adopt something. Of course, Purchasing behavior is also based on personal self selfishness in a way, what you what each of us want with the act of purchasing. So your personal benefit. If there is a health benefit associated with a particular purchase, or in the case of organic products, it's not simply about using less pesticides, it's also about having products that are supposed to be better for your health because they have less pesticides, then in that case you're more likely to adopt these new uh, consumption patterns. Also, and that goes to your point about people saying they'd like to and not necessarily showing that they do it in practice, or sometimes they do, is that self-consistency. So if they have the possibility of being consistent 
between their beliefs and their purchasing act, they will do it. So firms making it easier and having providing more information to consumers that will help them make a purchasing act that will be more consistent with their beliefs are a lot more likely to be successful. So, for example, there's uh, the, the hotels that have... Uh, you typically, probably most of you have already experienced that where they say, you know, can you please not put the, the towels? You know, we will not change them every day unless you ask us to. What studies have shown is that guests are willing to make the effort most of the time unless they see the firm or the hotel firm as not doing their share. So there's also a bit of give and take, you know, you're a big firm, if you're not actually showing me that you're doing what you're telling me I should be doing, then I'm actually a lot less likely to be doing it. So there's a consistency of message on both sides, consistency of belief on the consumer side and consistency of action and uh, discourse and speech on the, on the point of the businesses. Yeah, I think that's uh, those are very important aspects of, of competitive advantage, Pascal, that a business can build on that and know they can influence consumers' behaviour and encourage them to choose their, that firm's offering by making those attributes really clear to them and encouraging them to make good choices. Uh, and in that way, I think we as economists would, would sort of use the phrase internalisation. So it is possible to get market-based solutions where you can get really positive investment in the five capitals through businesses putting some skin in the game themselves, as you were saying, and actually showing that they stand by the investment in these five capitals themselves. And by doing so, they discover that consumers are willing to pay more for their products and therefore in a sense, reward them for that investment. And I think, Louise, as you were saying, in the past series on this podcast, we focused more on people's choice of investment. But I think it's even more powerful when people are actually making those choices as consumers. The revenue that those firms are, are earning every, every week, every month, uh, the more that that can be based consistently on these choices, the more sustainable these types of business models will be in the long run. Yeah, great that you reminded me what I was, we, 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 we talked about earlier in previous podcasts. But there's another way in which consumers can actually be engaged in this process is through companies committing to monitoring how they are achieving their purpose, how they are meeting these wider societal goals by just actually having ongoing communication with consumers or having tools that uh, encourage uh, feedback from consumers from, from, uh, through social media, through um, the process of just having on a web page, right, just go on our web page, tell us how we're doing about the environment, you know, and, and, and there are some sectors where companies are doing this incredibly well already. So it's not just the process of the, the buying and, and expressing the willingness to pay, but also actually as an ongoing communication tool. Uh, companies can engage with consumers. That kind of consumer engagement is very powerful. It's, it's fascinating sitting back listening to the three of you talk about this. One, one of the questions I wanted to ask was, what are the benefits to the business of distinguishing this approach from, let's say, C CSR, Helen? I think done well, this is actually very different from CSR because it really is baked into the essence of what the business is as opposed to an overlay. And in a sense, it goes to Pascal's point, which is about where consumers feel that 
there's any aspect of lip service around this from a business, uh, they can react very negatively and strongly to that. And so, unfortunately, CSR has a bit of a bad name in that regard. It's It's been around for a long time. It was felt like these were things that were add-ons to annual reports, as opposed to actually being businesses thinking about genuinely their corporate and social responsibility. I think as that is changing, uh, we see that businesses are going to have to embed this more deeply in their organization. I think in the same spirit you can think about the the responsibility of the of the managers, right? Of the of the leaders of the firm where you know if the firm is advocating a, a pretty, very strong environmentally friendly policy and you see the CEO going around in jets and or you know having a particular lifestyle that considered completely at odds with what the firm is standing for you can see how nowadays a lot more than before those contradictions are being pointed out and it can have in fact a sort of snowballing effect on the reputation of the firm while actually it's about an individual within the firm so just Focusing back on the consumer, though, Luis, how much do we let them decide on points of detail that are fundamental to the business? Well, I'd be interested in what Helen and Pascal have to say about this. Uh, It's not an easy question at all. You you know, you think about, you know, how much should firms invest on uh, maintaining the resources around them and and how much should they invest on developing their uh, human capital? How much should they be looking at affordability, vulnerability questions in the local communities? Well, these are all very complicated questions, complicated dimensions. How do we get a consumer to express a desire or a, or a, or a, a kind of a particular um, view on, 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 these, on these different priorities? There are lots of firms that are actually are building these sort of uh, questions into their investment priorities. And there is a question how much, coming back to what Helen was saying, how much we can, within a firm, think about these questions. They, they, they are, they've got wider societal uh, effects, therefore it's not just about the firm and its customers and the firm and its investors. It's, it's wider than that. But a lot of these can be built into the, the forward planning of firms. They can uh, uh, look at a, a business plan for three to five years in some industries, even longer, longer time frames, and, and look at... Uh, climate change uh, aspects and how 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 much uh, sh- should they be committing to addressing questions around uh, climate change, uh, addressing questions around uh, vulnerable uh, consumers in 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 the areas close to uh, where they where they operate. So quite a lot of this can be built into the business planning process of firms. Helen, the way I think about it is, if you think about how the competitive market works, you will have some first movers, more extreme offers that come from firms. For example, if we if we think about the attractiveness of vegan diets, which has grown substantially in the last few years, mostly driven through the climate change agenda. And you have some firms who have gone the whole way on that, right? So they offer only vegan products, they're very high profile on that. And you have consumers who similarly adapt to to that and are very keen on that and 
those, those businesses are successful. However, I think if you look across the product ranges of almost every firm now, you will see much more attention to vegan products, vegan choices, most restaurants, most supermarkets have increased their range, even though they will obviously offer meat, dairy, other products as well. That is sort of the benefit that comes from a competitive environment where you don't have to have everybody behaving in the same way. But consumers, by responding to those choices, by pushing those demands out there, actually influence the offers throughout the whole market in some way or another. And I think the science on it says that if everybody reduced their meat consumption not to zero as as a vegan um, adopter would, but maybe to 10% or 20% um, reduction in their average, we will have a really significant effect on, on climate change and emissions. And so I think these small changes that are made by consumers and by the choices they make and by how they're influenced by everybody else around them when they see those choices being more uh, accessible, we actually get that change across the whole of society bit by bit. You know, I, I tried my first vegan ice cream a there couple of go. weeks ago. And it was, I have to say, it was, it was really nice. I think it was with rice milk rather than... But what I was going to ask is, going back to what you were saying before about being prepared to pay more, when I looked in the supermarket, it is like a pound or pound fifty extra do you think if the prices were the same we would get even more people for sure that the evidence is absolutely clear on that if you don't have the price differential then you will have more switching towards those those um, products and actually um, as I think you see now with with what was green energy so uh, wind power which was subsidized and supported um, substantially across Europe and particularly in the UK for many years it is now getting to the point where it is the same cost mm. as fossil fuel led um, electricity production so I think over time as you see these options becoming more mainstream then the cost will fall and we will probably see even more uptake over time okay um we've talked about regulators in uh, a previous episode how do regulators think about the consumer Luis so um as we were saying earlier quite a lot of these these sort of externalities is why the societal impact can be internalized within a firm. So a firm can look into these different priorities and and establish through their planning process how they look into these different forms of capital. But of course, there is a limit to how much that can be done. Uh, And and, um, we we, we probably would think there is a lot that can be done, but there is a limit to it. And and that's where perhaps the role of regulators is is the obvious next step, is that they will need to take a, a, a look at well, is, is sort of this intergenerational aspect, which perhaps consumers today um, have got a particular uh, form of bias. There are some big intergenerational issues associated with climate change, associated with investment in capacity, to, with, with um, use of personal data, etc. All these bigger questions. You will need the role of a regu- regulator to actually just sort of, you know, are we really thinking about all consumers, today's and future consumers? So it's ine- inevitable that as we look at these societal impacts that perhaps there is a bit of a scope creep for regulators. It's the natural thing is to just have more regulation. 
I think one of the roles of regulators as well is to intervene to kickstart some of the change because consumer, and we know that you know some of the issues we've been discussing are becoming more and more urgent that we tackle at the overall society level, and sometimes just relying on consumer change, some even influenced benevolently by firms, may not be quick enough. And so you have to introduce possibly more drastic measures. Now, the risk of that is if it's not done with the right political support or in the right environment, you actually have the backlash, the political backlash of people not understanding today why you should do this for tomorrow. So it, it raises its own set of challenges. I and mean, we've seen it in France with increasing the price of, um, of, of, of petrol for cars in an effort to curb the use of cars and get people more on other ways of transport, while well, you had a, a very strong popular reaction to that, saying, hang on, you're, all, you're asking the people who have very limited means, so the willingness to pay points sort of came in head-on, saying, look, we understand what you're trying to achieve. You can't ask the same people over and over again to be paying for those efforts. And so it's a, it's a question of, in, you know, in the end, as we were saying, the consumers are the ones who are paying for all this. If it turns out that it is against some of the, the willingness to pay up to a point of people, then that's when you may have a really strong resistance to those changes, even if you use regulation. Yes, I think the point you made earlier, Russ, that when we're talking about prices coming down for products that have good uh, social attributes, making them more desirable. Uh, it is a very common tool, as Pascal mentions, to increase the price of products that have negative social attributes, but then you hit this, this challenge that that can be very unpopular. I think one of the other areas which people are struggling with at the moment is, is relating to air travel. So that's increasingly getting a focus of um, how bad that can be for the environment, uh, and yet most people can't easily see how to change their behaviour other than flying less. And we think that there are some, whether there'll be regulatory solutions, but in a sense, solutions that you would not expect the market to deliver on its own, which is sort of what we're talking about here today. One of those being increasing the price to make it less desirable and also, in a sense, less equal because then... Who, who can afford to fly and who can afford to experience that and have that type of uh, vacation, which has been one of the positives of the, the growth of low-cost travel in the, in the recent decades. And the second is being highlighted that perhaps airlines should get rid of their frequent flyer programs. So there shouldn't be programs that reward those who travel a lot, who fly a lot, by enabling them to fly more and more cheaply. Uh, now, it's probably going to be a brave airline that is the first one that says we're no longer going to have a frequent flyer program because that will probably not be a competitive advantage as we've been talking a lot of the positive side of how you can make a, a, a positive of these, these elements of change. This would be one which may be quite hard to make work in a competitive environment and you might need a regulatory intervention to say we've decided that this type of program is no longer allowed to be offered and you have to find different ways to um, provide loyalty to your customers but not through this route. Another example of where regulatory intervention may be needed or some form of firm coordination, which then raises its own set of challenges from an antitrust perspective, is when you, for example, you remembered maybe at, at there were maybe 10 years or 20 years ago when we went from the very big washing liquid 
for, for washing machines to the much smaller package where you were supposed to use only one cup instead of two. So it was much more concentrated. But there's a bias in consumer buying behavior where they want the big bottle because it's gonna, they have this perception that they're going to make more, they're going to be able to use it more. And so you had to move the consumer from a perception of the bigger one is better to the smaller one is better because actually you, you need less. It's more environmentally friendly and it's as effective. And even then you would think, well, hang on, normally if you're you know, in a rational environment, a firm that does that, lower cost, better price, normally should get, the, should, get the, should, should get the market share and then change the market. Turns out that consumer bias was preventing that. And by saying, actually, everybody moves, then you basically change the, the market outcome. You, you change the equilibrium to which consumers and firms get to. I was just going to add that in terms of Cleaning products is another is an interesting one because going back to some of that early research, actually cleaning products is the one where people didn't really adopt green products very much because they believed they didn't actually work. So it didn't matter whether they were cheaper or more expensive. But that idea that it's sort of a similar bias idea which you needed to have chemicals in there in order for it to actually be clean and it's a long time of trying to get change in consumer understanding of that in order to move away from those types of products. Helen just picking up on your on your cost of airfare going up does that not get to the case though where and this is just a personal view but you then see for example these Hollywood superstars telling us what we should and shouldn't be doing with our travels you know, and cutting down air, you know, our, our air travel or whatever, as they then jet off on their first class or private jets. So it, it gets to the point where it's okay if you can afford it. And yeah, I can offset that with a few, you know, planting a few trees somewhere. But if, you know, if you can't afford it, well, you shouldn't be traveling anyway. So does that then not have a, a negative, you know, message? Abs- absolutely. And I think that, again, the necessity that individuals believe that those who are informing them are themselves not hypocritical Mm. about their choices. I think that's absolutely essential. And I think, as Pascal mentioned earlier, in a world of social media, uh, nobody gets away with anything these days, right? And so you really really have to be consistent on these things. And, yes, that's why I find air travel so interesting because there is no very easy way to or as yet we have not come up with a way to continue to make that consumption choice and not have the environmental harm so you go to offset as the the only real option but even that is not yet really at a state where people feel it's very trustworthy as a way to offset yeah. the environmental damage. I, was, I was reading a an analysis of of Greta's trip on her yacht um, which was all, you know, obviously the, the message is, is so true and, and important. But then when you look at flying out a crew to then bring it back and obviously the cost of building it and everything like that and, and the impact. That's right, but, the hidden yeah, carbon. Yeah, and, and, and this is the issue, like you say, with social media, that people will start analysing everything that, that you do. Um, sorry, Luis. Yes, I was just going to say that this is why it is so different from the CSR that you asked the, the question earlier. Yeah. What, what what is happening now is that actually companies uh, and and countries are thinking about how the corporate governance code can not just mention this purpose to wider kind of forms of capital, but also how to embed that within the the, the corporations, how to monitor that they are indeed 
um, making those right decisions, making those right investments in, and looking at the impact they have on, on other aspects of society. And, and um, then reflecting that on the remuneration of managers. You talked about that earlier. So if managers are not delivering on those wider purposes, that they will be <laughs> affected in their remuneration. And, and through social media, you can actually have a consumer engagement and a, and a, a popular kind of, you know, consumers, uh, um, everyone in, uh, can actually engage actively with firms that are, are they really doing what they say they are doing? So uh, kind of just going back to the topic here around the consumer, through social media, the consumer role will be even more important in, in the future and why um, those indicators of uh, uh, CSR in the future, they will be very powerful in the way firms will look at these issues. Well, actually, that's a, that's a nice way to finish this off in terms of looking at, at, at the future. So, so you've led me perfectly into, into my final question there, Luis. Um, pa Pascal, what, what, what do you think it, it could look like in the future in terms of the role of the consumer? Well, I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's already been a journey in particular. I mean, we were talking about development of social media. I think there's also a, a generational aspect of the younger generations, millennials and, 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 and others that are demanding more and more accountability on the part of firms. So it goes towards CSR is enough or, you know, how do, we, how do you ensure you're credible in your commitments as firms? And the consumers are looking towards making firms accountable for that. And I think we're on the journey towards that is how do we actually as individual consumers or collectively as groupings of consumers make those firms accountable for some of the some of the some of the, the purpose-led decisions that they are they are taking. And Helen? Yeah, I think uh, I think we have plenty of reasons to be hopeful for the future and seeing how businesses understanding the power for their own business model of paying attention to the five capitals, to emphasising that being transparent with consumers. And as we discussed earlier, I think as more and more businesses change their offerings, change consumers' behaviour, make things more mainstream, and I agree with Pascal, the younger generation are much more clued in to these questions, asking the questions, making these choices on, on these criteria that as they become wealthier, <laughs> as they age and, uh, and are in their middle age, I think you can expect that to have this broad effect across, across the whole market. And I think a lot can be done with changing almost the, the background. You don't, need, you don't need everyone to always be doing everything exactly correctly, but you can make a very big impact by having everyone change to some extent.
Well, thanks once again to all my guests for joining me here in Paris today for this episode of Beyond the Bottom Line. Don't forget, Oxera would love to hear your thoughts on this topic. So if you'd like to contribute to the discussion, uh, you can do that on their agenda website by visiting oxera.com slash latest dash agenda. Or you can comment on their LinkedIn and Twitter posts where they have shared this podcast. We'd also love for you to subscribe to the show, which you can do on all podcast platforms. And if you've enjoyed listening, please do give us a positive rating and review. Uh, finally, if you'd like to get in touch with Oxera about Agenda and any of the points raised here today, you can do that by emailing agenda at oxera.com. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye. <laughs>